Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, I am excited to dive back in today to the amazing book of Romans, the incredible journey that it has already been in this amazing book God put together for us and this grand theme, God's power to transform anyone. Uh, The very first chapter, we see God right out the gate say, or Paul say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for any who believe. And Uh, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so there, in just that one statement, we see the grand theme of this great book. And it it has been an amazing journey from chapter one all the way now to chapter eight where we are. There is no other book in the Bible that gives such a thorough understanding of what the gospel means or that God saves a wretch like me and transforms a wretch. Uh, This is an amazing, amazing book of the Bible. We are in the high point of Romans, that is chapter 8. And as I mentioned before, as somebody has said, if the Bible were a ring, then Romans would be the diamond, and Romans 8 would be the sparkle on that diamond. It begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. You know, I was thinking after this, just this week of study, getting into the, the last few verses of, the, of chapter 8 here, the sense that I was just overwhelmed with is that God really wants his children to go to bed in peace tonight. <laughs> he really wants us to go to bed in peace. If you're a child of God, he wants you to sleep good. In 1555, there was a man named Nicholas Ridley who was burned at the stake for his witness for Christ. And one night, on the night before his execution, his brother said, Nicholas, I... I want to remain with you here in the prison. I'm going to sit with you tonight on this year last night. And Nicholas said, it's okay, brother. I don't want you here. I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight. (laughs) I have the peace of God. I'm going to sleep as quietly, he said, as I've ever slept tonight. Because he knew that the peace of God was surrounding him. And that's how I feel. If we really believe this chapter, we would be 100% confident that a born-again believer has nothing to worry about. And I mean nothing. There's a little boy around here, um, uh, uh, Elias Schumacher, and I'll come up to him and I say, how you doing, Elias? And he says, he gives me a percentage. Every, <laughs> uh, 90%, uh, 70%. This little guy is the cutest thing. I love it. And sometimes he'll say 100%. And, um, but after reading chapter 8, I think... We should always say, if somebody says, how you doing? We should say 100%. I'm 100%. I'm a born-again believer. 100%. So that's my title for today. I think that's a great title for the, all, all of chapter 8, but this section, I'll give it that title. Because we see that God saves here in this chapter. God saves us 100%. The Christian has a 100% chance of going to heaven. Not 50%, 75%. It's a 100% chance. The Christian is 100% adopted child of God, which means he gets 100% of the inheritance. And God ends here in the chapter by saying that he loves us 
100%. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So God obviously does not want a Christian to have a so-so Christianity. He wants us to have a no-so Christianity. So last week we saw that even in our most painful moments, even in the painful suffering of this life, and surely Paul was talking, when original writing here, to a group of people that were uh, suffering a lot of persecution and all kinds of pain. And he was saying, listen, you always have hope. You always have hope. If you're a believer, you have hope. And we may groan now, and our bodies groan, our, our hearts groan, our minds groan, but our future is 100% settled. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for you now. And he enters our groans with us. But wait, there's even more than this. And I can't even imagine how there would be more than this, but there is. And this week we're gonna see that God is not done blessing the believer. We still haven't gotten <clears throat> to what some call the greatest promise in all of the Bible. David Jeremiah, the pastor, called it the greatest verse and the greatest chapter in the greatest book in the Bible. R.A. Torrey said that this verse that we're about to look at, Romans 8.28, is a soft pillow for the tired heart. It commonly makes the list of the top 10 favorite Bible verses, and you can see why. And so as we start tonight, or this morning, excuse me, number one, I want to say that we are 100% blessed, as we're going to see in these next few verses. We are 100% blessed. If you're a child of God, if you're a born-again believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are 100% blessed. Verse 28, look at this amazing verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Whew. One good thing when you're reading a passage of Scripture sometimes is just to slow down and let every word sink in. Let's look, think about this for a minute. We know. We know. It's not a maybe here. It's something we know. A hundred percent. All things. The Greek word for all things is all things. <laughs> That's what it means. All things. All. All, 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 all. That is 100% of things. You know, we preachers are always looking for a new way to state a familiar truth and I like how George Mueller did this in this verse. Here's what he said. In 1,000 trials, it is not 500 of them that work for the believer's good, but 999 of them and one beside. <laughs> God can work everything. God can work with everything in your life. God can work with everything in our life. You, whenever we bring him, whatever the circumstance, whatever the painful thing, whatever the good thing, we bring it to him and he says, I can work with that. Work, he says, I'll work it together. I can work it together. It doesn't say that all things are good because all things are not good. But God says, I can work all things together for good. The amazing woman of God, Johnny Erickson Tata, who became a quadriplegic after a diving accident, she said this amazing statement. She said, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God takes those bad things and he works them together for good. The Greek word work together is uh, synergeo, where we get our word synergy. It's, 
if you look it up in the dictionary, the definition for synergy is the interaction or cooperation of two or more substances or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. In other words, what we're talking about here is in the hand of God, all of the stuff of our life is synergized. God produces an effect greater than we could ever imagine. God takes whatever the situation, whatever thing we're going through, and he works it together for our good. And that's what the next phrase, for good, for good. Now remember here, it does not say for comfort. I work all things for your comfort. That's not what it says. But he says, I work all things for good. And good here is defined by God. He gets to say what good is and, and what bad is. And we can trust then, deep in our heart, that God has our very best interest in his heart and his mind. And then as we see uh, this verse, how it ends, it says who, is, who this verse is for. And this is important. To them that love God and are called according to his purpose, are they called according to his purpose. We need to be clear here that this promise that God gives is for the saved only. It is for the believer. That's what these terms mean. The terms Paul's using here is describing the believer. We are the, those who love God and those who have been called for the purposes of God. You know, lots of people, even unsaved people who don't love God and don't walk with God, don't read scripture, any of that, many people out there are living with a philosophy in their mind that, ah, everything's going to work out in the end. Eventually, everything will work out. But that's just not the case. Frankly, I, the, the truth is that everything will not work out for the unbeliever in the end. And that's uh, a sad truth, but a real truth. But for those who love Christ, and those who are, are the called according to his purpose, this is an amazing promise. And you know, God has given us many examples in scripture of how he does this. Uh, and what it looks like in a life to work all things for good. Uh, Joseph in the Bible, in the Old Testament. David, Moses, Ruth. Time and time again, Paul, or God gives us example after example of how God can work all things for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So Paul, here he's telling the persecuted Christian in his day, you may be wondering, if you will even be alive tomorrow, or you'll even be alive next week. But let me just tell you, everybody, God will work all things for your good. And to, this, to the discouraged Christian of our day, right now, whoever would read this passage, you may be wondering why God's allowing you to go through the very thing that you're going through right now. But God says, I will work all things together for good. I, I can synergize all things. I can bring it together and make something even better. And then Paul explains why we can be 100% confident that we are 100% blessed and that we are 100% positive that God will do this. Verse 29, for or because whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. 
and whom he justified, them he also glorified. All right, so these verses are tied to verse 28. God will work all things together for good because of this reason. We don't see how everything's going to work out for good. We're down here stressing out about our life, wondering how this is all, how in the world this could ever be okay. But God already has our whole life laid out in his mind. He has everything on track. God never gets worried. He never gets baffled. He doesn't, he, he never, he, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? He sees you and I, the believer, already locked into a Christian growth plan that ends in heaven, and we're locked in. It's all about perspective here. God, if we see it from his perspective, we're not stressed, we're not worried. We see the end goal. Uh, but if we're from our perspective, we can tend to get more worried. As somebody has said, God sees the whole parade from beginning to end. He sees it from the top. But we, looking at this whole parade of life, we're looking at it through a fence hole. And all we see is the very thing right in front of us. So it says first that God foreknows. He foreknows. This is, this is the whole plan of God here. He foreknows. This is the Greek word prognosko. It means to have knowledge ahead of time. Now, some would say that this means that God foreloved or forecaused or foreordained some to be saved without having them the free will to choose whether or not to be saved. But that's not what the word means. That's not what the word says. The word simply means knowing something in the past. What did God know in the past? It makes sense in the context here that this is saying he knew who would accept him as Savior. Similar to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Amen. You know, Christians are elect according to the foreknowledge or God knowing something uh, in the past. Just like when God created Adam and Eve. He knew ahead of time that they would sin, they would choose to eat of that fruit, but he gave them a free, free will to make moral choices anyway. Same with us, God knows who will trust in him by faith and who will not. He knows that ahead of time because he's God. He knows all things, he's omniscient. But he still gives every person a free will to choose to love God or choose not to love God. And those who will accept his gift of salvation will get everything that comes next in these verses. And what comes next? He predestinates to be conformed to the image of Christ or the image of his son. So here's how this works. Based on his foreknowledge of who will be saved, he makes a decree that each believer will be made into the image of Christ. You, you have faith? He says, okay, now you are on this track. I, am I will conform you to the image of Christ. God's basically saying, since I know you will believe, you will need now be put on this like Jesus plan. I have predestined you to become like Christ, and there's this whole th that's where this whole thing is headed. Day after day after day after day after day, I'm going to keep molding you and put you where I want you to, to go. He's going to do the work on the inside to form us into his character, one thing at a time, one thing at a time, one thing at a time. He speaks to our hearts. He speaks to our minds. He speaks about letting some things go. That's why when sometimes you come to church and you get convicted 
and you realize, I need to probably let this thing go. I need to, I need to do something about this. God's just working on all of our hearts day after day. But even the bad things of life, we know, will all work together to make us more like Christ. God will even use those bad things to form our character, and that's the context here. But let me briefly explain for those who are aware of some of the theological debates in this passage. Uh, this is talking about predestinating the saved here to a desired end, and that is to be like Christ. Predestination here has to do with the saved and not the unsaved. This passage is not at all, doesn't say anything about God arbitrarily choosing some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell ahead of time. If you look closely, it says nothing about that. And I cannot agree here with my Calvinist and Reformed friends on this. And just to be clear, I'm not a Calvinist or a Reformed, um, which means ascribing to the theology of John Calvin, or I'm not an Arminian either, which just is ascribing to the theology of Joseph Arminius. Uh, people call this middle place a biblicist, traditionalist, provisionist, one of the newer terms, but I, I really don't like any of the labels. I try to be as Bible-centered as I can, and I know we all are trying to do that. But I believe that the Bible teaches sovereignty and free will. I'm very, I'm very acquainted with both positions, and just like A.W. Tozier, I don't like it when some groups try to force Christians into one camp or the other. Um, to be in, in the Arminian camp, I would have to reject eternal security and other things that I think are unbiblical. To be in the Calvinist Reformed camp, I would have to believe some ideas that really actually came several hundred years after the New Testament, that God created many people to be sent to hell without any chance of, to accept Jesus Christ. And then God sent Christ and the apostles to preach to them that had no chance, pleading with them to accept him, all while knowing that they're unable to accept him. And then Christ died only for some people and not all people. And I just don't think scripture teaches that. Real quick, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. I'm sorry, I don't have these up here for you. He says, God, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 6, he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Of course, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And even in Romans 5.18, Therefore, as by, one, by the offense of one, ju judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. I just believe all these alls and anys and whole worlds and whosoevers in the Bible are actually what they say. So, um, I like what Adrian Rogers said on this. He said, we cannot put God into a box. We cannot put God into a box and then start to read some theology into passages. He said, if you put, if you put all God in a box and you put all sovereignty in there, then free will pops out. But if you put all free will in there, then sovereignty pops out. You can't put God in a box, and we have to believe Scripture here, as it says. But let's go back to the, the book of Romans and what it's saying here. I don't want to lose sight of the powerful truth that God is presenting to us here. Once God foreknows 
who will accept him? And he predestinates us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Then here is what he does. He knows this is happening. He's on this path. And so here's what he, he comes to you and he calls. At some point in your life, you hear a call to be saved. And then you place your trust. You receive the gift. You place your trust in Christ. And on that day, all of this thing starts to happen inside of you. And what that moment he justifies then, it says. He calls, he justifies. You are declared righteous in heaven. And then you, and you live this life as a justified, born again, adopted child of God. And then one day, he glorifies. God is gonna one day finish this whole thing up and take us to heaven. And that's what this word glorified is all about. You know, but notice the verse that word there in this verse is in the past tense, glorified, even though it's something that happens in the future. Why? Because in the eyes of God, it's already a done deal. God sees the future as well as the past. He sees the whole parade. If you are foreknown, then you are predestined and called and justified, and you can be 100% sure that you're going to heaven. That's what this says. So when we look at this passage, verses 28 through 30, here's what I see. I see a master weaver working on a Turkish rug. <laughs> we, we had, uh, Elaine and I had a chance to be in Turkey for one afternoon. <laughs> and we were there for a few minutes and our driver took us to a place where they were at, these wonderful ladies were making Turkish rugs. And they were on these, uh, they were weaving them all and doing, doing all the work and I was seeing the patterns come together. You know, they have a pattern in their mind. They have this whole thing uh, uh, all planned out, but each uh, thread that comes through and all that's coming through is not gonna be 100% perfect. There's gonna be nuances here and there, but they can work with those. They can bring it in and they can weave it all together for this beautiful masterpiece in the end. And I know that's what God does with our life. He sees, we, we, we have all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of things, and, and, uh, and, but God says, I can work together all of this. I have this whole plan. It's, it's already set in motion. I'm gonna make a beautiful masterpiece out of your life, and I'm gonna take you to heaven one day. That's what this is saying to us. We are 100% blessed. This is why we can take it to the bank here today. This is, we're, we're not guessing at this. We know we're blessed. And look at the following verses now and see that not only are we 100% blessed, but we are 100% protected. Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? <laughs> if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. You know, if you look at all these, and I don't know exactly what Paul was saying here, whether he was saying it was all the thing, if, what do you say to all these things in Romans 8 or all these things to all the book of Romans or, or just in just this last little truth here. <clears throat> but if I asked you, uh, what, what can you say to the fact that God took you as a wicked sinner? What would you say to the fact that God purchased you from the slavery of sin? That God declared you righteous in Christ in heaven. That God cleaned up your life. That God brought you into his family. God gives you a 100% guarantee that you're glorified one day. What would you say to those things? What can you say to those things? If somebody would ask me, I guess I would just fall on my knees and say hallelujah or I don't know what I would say. I almost can't speak when you begin to think about all of this. Uh, we took uh, Mark and Joni Thrift, uh, evangelist Mark Thrift, uh, was here a few weeks ago for our Bible conference and I, we took him to the Calaveras Big Trees as he mentioned. 
<laughs> we were walking, and you know, he's a old, he's a southern boy. He is from deep Texas, you know, and and so we were walking into the the forest there, and we came upon. I don't know if you've ever been there, there's that one tree that has been uh, that has been cut that they've now made the round as a dance floor. It's it's huge. This tree. And Mark Thrift, as he's, I said, oh, this is where they made a dance floor out of the, out of the tree. And Mark Thrift, in his clather, classic Southern line, he said, don't say, don't say. And, and they, this, this is when you know you got a Texan shocked, you know. They, they, they think everything's bigger in Texas. But then when they went there, he would, don't say, until they see these big trees. Listen. This is what, what you might say to Romans chapter 8. God gives you all of this. No condemnation to no separation and everything in between here. All you can say, don't say. Are you kidding me? But I like Paul's even better. If God be for us, who can be against us? God, listen, look, look what it says. God is for us. For us. Again, though, this is speaking of his children. If God is for us, if God is for you, if you are a born-again child of God, if you've accepted the gift of salvation, then who can be against you? Who? You know, when you become a parent, you understand those words. I am for every one of my kids. I am for them. I'm in their corner. I'm fighting for them. I'll, I'll go to battle with them. I would die for them. How much better is it to have God in your corner? God to say, if God is for us, who could be against us? Verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you get how preposterous it is to think, that God, uh, to think of God not giving you what you need to make it through this life? How preposterous to think that God would not give you what you need for today and for tomorrow. If I, have, if I was willing to spare, I, 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 I even did not spare my own son, how shall I not much more give you what you need? If a diamond owner, if you were in a diamond store, I, if Elaine and I were in a diamond store, we were walking around looking at diamonds, we don't do that very often, but... Uh, <laughs> We were in there and somebody said, you know, you just seem like a nice couple and, uh, and your wife seems really great. You, you don't seem so good, but she seems pretty good. So here's what I'm going to do. I am going to give you one of our best diamonds. I just want to do this out of the goodness of my heart. I want to bless you guys. Here is, here is this diamond ring. I want you guys just to have it. It's, it's priceless. Now, if we said, sir, thank you. But could I have a box to put this in as we take it home? And he said, what? Now you're asking for a box? Oh, come on. It's pr this is the point here. If God would not give us his son, don't you think that he could do the smaller things like take care of our day-to-day -day issues, the day-to-day -day stuff that we go through? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. This is a legal term to charge who could bring a charge? Who can, who can bring a legitimate charge against the child of God? The devil will try to bring all kinds of charges. He will. 
you've probably felt it. Devil bringing charges against you. You're horrible. You're, you're nothing. Whatever. But, but the believer has been justified. Justified. You are declared righteous. That's what that means. You are declared righteous. Yeah, sure, you're a sinner. And you, need to, you need to deal with the sin. But your standing, your position in heaven is justified. That's, that's what God knows. You have been declared righteous. In verse 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So even if the devil does bring a charge, uh, Chuck Swindoll was talking about this and writing about this. He said, you know, it, one of the most uh, surprising Sundays I've ever had, he said one day he was in church during the worship time and he was down in the front row just worshiping the Lord and all of a sudden somebody came up him, to him with an envelope and uh, served him papers <laughs> in the middle of church. Uh, we're suing you. And he said, thankfully, <laughs> I mean, that really throws a Sunday off. Yeah. But, um, but thankfully afterward, it, every, it was found to be just a frivolous lawsuit. It was trumped up charges. And that's the idea. He said, thankfully, they can't condemn me. And that's for the child of God. The devil brings a trumped up charge. The de devil might bring a frivolous lawsuit against you. But do you think he will be able to condemn a person who has already had his sins paid for by the blood of Christ? There is no double jeopardy. You can't be condemned for what Christ already paid for. Besides, the, the judge is your adopted dad, okay? So don't worry about that. And it says that Jesus is up there making intercession for you. Do you think the devil has any chance of prying you out of the grip of your father and the risen Savior who's interceding for you? Again, the late, great Adrian Rogers was talking about being held in the hand of God and no one can pluck us out. He said, listen closely to this, Do you, don't you think that if the devil could pluck you out, that he would have done it already? In fact, if we're fearful that, he, that the devil might get us out of the hand of God, then think about this now. We're trusting in the goodness of the devil to keep us saved. No way! God has you, and he has Jesus interceding for you. You know, it's nice when people come up to me sometimes and say, I've been praying for you. Been on my heart, been on my mind, I'm, I've been praying for you. I'm so thankful for that. But what, imagine if Jesus came up to you and said, you know, me and God, we're just talking about you. We talk about you often. We, I'm praying for you. What a comfort Jesus intercedes for us. And here's the final 100% of this chapter Number three, and that is we are 100% loved. This is an amazing few verses right here. They're beautiful in language, but they're even beautiful in the truth. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword Paul lists seven things here that might make you feel like God doesn't love you. If you, one of these or all seven of these <laughs> were happening to you, you would feel, God, do you even love me? Do you even care about me? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness or being poor, peril, that is danger, 
sword, that is even death. Imagine what those persecuted Christians would have been thinking. So even if I face death, I know I can't be separated from the love of God. When we go through these things, does it mean that God has forgotten us or stopped loving us? No, we are never separated from his love. But we still experience pain. Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul points back to Psalm 44, 22 here in the Old Testament as a reminder that hard times are to be expected for the child of God. We just know we were accounted as sheep for the slaughter that's kind of par for the Christian course. Again, don't get the idea, everybody, that this life is about our comfort. Amen. It's not about health, wealth, and prosperity. God may allow some of that, but it's not to be expected. What is to be expected here is to be counted as sheep for the slaughter. And it feels more and more that way in America, I have to say. I mean, the world is coming against, coming hard against Christians. Coming hard against Christians. And if we don't agree with them, we're marginalized and shoved to the side. They have to have their truth. They have to have it. If anybody's breaking in, then it shows the flaws in their ways of thinking. And so they don't want it. And they push us aside and they're coming hard. But this, does that mean that God doesn't love us? Because the world's coming against us, does that mean God doesn't love us? Verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors, in the Greek that means super conquerors. In other words, we don't just make it through our challenges, we make it through while retaining our joy, peace, and excitement for Christ. We can make it through anything with joy, peace, and excitement for Christ. Someone likened it to a four-cylinder car going up a steep hill. It'll eventually get there. <laughs> it'll drop in speed, but it'll eventually get there. It'll conquer the hill. But a big V8 supercharged engine will carry a vehicle over the hill with plenty of power to spare. That's a super conqueror. That's what we are. We can go through anything with power to spare. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Why can we be so confident? Paul says that I am, for I am persuaded. Are you persuaded today? Yes. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, that is demonic powers, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's the truth. Here is the truth. Here is the truth. There is nothing in this natural world or the supernatural world, that's what Paul is saying here, that can separate us from the love of God when we are in Christ. That is the truth. Amen. You and I have to decide whether or not we're persuaded about it. Whether or not we believe it or not. Because once you're persuaded, then it changes everything. It changes everything. When I am persuaded, I know I am a child of God. God wants us to live with this confidence as a super conqueror. 
There's nothing that I face that I know that I, I don't know that the Lord will take me through. I am a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. Would you bow your heads? We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.